If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to look at this morning uh, the first 10 verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And here the Bible says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above fourteen years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such and one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, and reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Please help us as we try to preach, Lord, on this text. And God, we're just most of all interested that you are the one that's lifted up and seen. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we sang several songs this morning, uh, but I'm sure we all remember this one. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. That's kind of become the theme of Christianity, that song, that dear old song. How about this one? Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. What about this one? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. We sing a lot about grace. We talk a lot about grace. We have Sunday school lessons about grace. We have preaching about grace. We open our Bible and we see the word grace over and over and over. But I want to ask you something this morning. Do you believe that God's grace is sufficient for all your needs? This is us. I'm talking you individually. Me individually. You, think about it in your heart. Is God's grace sufficient enough for all your needs? I'll be asking you again before we're finished. 
but we love to talk about God's grace. That word grace right there, it means, and this is according to Webster's 1828 dictionary, grace means unmerited divine assistance given humans for their regeneration or sanctification, a virtue coming from God. In a nutshell, that's what grace means, unmerited favor. Favor that you got for nothing you did. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but God gave it to you. It was a gift. Now, out of everyone mentioned in the Bible, perhaps the Apostle Paul knew about God's grace, maybe more than any other. Uh, the Apostle Peter, he, he's probably another one as well, but the Apostle Paul, he understood God's grace and that's why he speaks of it many times when he's writing letters to the churches. It's this grace that he knows all about. We are first introduced to Paul, who is really known by Saul in his early life there. And by the way, his name has always been Paul. It was just his Roman name that was started to be used later on after he got saved. And, and uh, the, the writers were writing his name as Paul. But we're introduced first to him in Acts chapter 9, there in verse 1. You hadn't heard of him up to that point. Of course, he's named after King Saul, of course, the, uh, the, the uh, king of the Jews. But the Bible says in Acts 9 and 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, and by the way, that this way means Christianity is what it's speaking of. He found any in this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Paul himself admits to being persecutor of God's church. He admits to being a great threat against Christians, probably greater than anyone at that time, uh, maybe bar the Romans, but Paul, one of the greatest persecutors and threats to the church, uh, when he was arrested by the Romans and they were leading him up to uh, be put on trial, he wants them to let him speak. And they allow him to speak. And there's a great number of people out there. And he starts speaking uh, really about his testimony. And he said this about himself in Acts 22, 4 and 5. He said, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women as also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound under Jerusalem to be punt, for to be punished. And Paul admits uh, to the people there, and that, of course he was saved at this point, he's, he, but he's kind of relaying his testimony. And he said, I used to be a horrible, terrible person. I hated Christians. I hated the church. Hated everything about it, and I had, I was, everything in my power, I was wanting to punish them. You see, as Saul was kicking against the pricks, as the Lord told him, he was uh, fighting that call that God had on his life, fighting against uh, that, uh, that pull that the Lord had on him. In Galatians 1 and 13, he even said, Beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. But fortunately, Paul can go on to say a few other things. I'm going to turn there and read that real quick. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. He's writing this letter to his young son in the faith, faith Timothy, and he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, 
But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Listen to this in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now, there's no uh, mistake about it. Paul was a great harm to the church, to Christians, to everything that God stood for. But through the miraculous conversion on that road to Damascus, as he was carrying out his evil plan to kill Christians, that God appeared to him there on that road. And just like that, he went from being known as Saul the persecutor to Paul the servant of Christ. All because of God's grace. And I've titled the message this morning, Is God's Grace Sufficient Enough for You? I know it's a long title, but it's, it fits. Is God's grace sufficient enough for you? Look at verse 1 again, 2 Corinthians 12 and 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, Paul starts out here in this section by humbly stating that it is not profitable for him to boast. He understands that boasting just leads to pride and vanity, which God hates, by the way. He hates a proud and prideful look and a heart. And so Paul knows that. He recognizes that. And it's contrary to the cause of Christ, by the way, to be that way. And so he chooses instead to speak of visions and revelations from the Lord. In other words, I'm going to speak what the Lord says, not what... Paul might say, or, or the, uh, you know, the scholar Saul might have said. Verse 2, he says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Now Paul, he's speaking in third person. He's talking about himself. But in his humble fashion, he refers to a man. He just says a man. He could have said, I, Paul, you know, of, of Saul of Tarsus, I went up and did all No, he, did, he didn't do it that way. He's, he's speaking in the third person. We know it's him because on further down, he, he keeps saying, he refers to I instead of that man. He changes over to being about him. Uh, like in verse 5, of such one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory. And down in verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing, the Lord, uh, I besought the Lord thrice. So we know it's him he's speaking of. Now, we don't know exactly when this event happened. It could have happened at several different occasions. Many believe it was after he came back uh, from Tarsus and into Jerusalem. And you remember he spent all that time out in the desert, I believe three years, as God was communing with him. Uh, it could have been on one of those occasions where uh, he was stoned and left outside the city for dead. And it perhaps could have occurred there. We don't know, but... Uh, he says that uh, such is one caught up to the third heaven. Now, there's three different heavens mentioned in the Bible. The first heaven is the one like we would go out in the parking lot and look up in the sky. Everything right here in our immediate environment, you know, that, uh, that everybody goes on and on about, you know, wanting everything green, protect those environments. Uh, so the, the sky, the clouds, you know, all that, that's the first heaven. The second heaven is what we usually refer to as outer space. You know, my, my, uh, Aunt Parley used to say, 
You know, those astronauts, all they're trying to do is, is to reach heaven in that rocket ship, but they'll never get there that way. And uh, I thought about that a lot when I was little. But uh, that's the, the second heaven is the space, the planet, stars, moon, sun, and galaxies, and all those things. But then there is a third heaven, which we refer to as the abode of God. It's where God, we, we consider God's home. Uh, it's that place that we always imagine what it might be like, that place where uh, we have not seen it yet, but one of these days our faith is going to come to sight and we're going to see those wonderful things in heaven. Well, Paul says he was called up to the third heaven. Caught up, he says. Caught up there. Uh, that's the same thought about when we think about the rapture. The, the word rapture is not in your Bible, but it means caught up is what that means. And so he says he was actually caught up to the third heaven, but he don't know whether it was physically or, or spiritually. He don't know if it, he was in the body or out of his body. You know, he says only God knows that. And so the experience is really beyond human comprehension of what happened to Paul. And, uh, so he says only God knows. Look at verse three. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Again, he's emphasizing that this experience is only known to God. He's the only one that could, could understand it, and he's not going to boast about it at all. He just wants to make doubly sure that the, the readers of what he's writing here understands this is not about him. This is all about God to bring glory to him. Verse 4, how that he was caught up into par paradise <clears throat> and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter, so now here he says he's caught up into paradise. That word paradise is used three times in your King James Bible. And every time it's referring to someone being in the presence of God. And so it's the same place as the third heaven that he's speaking of. Paradise and the third heaven is the same location that he's speaking of. And he says there that he heard things in heaven that was forbidden. He's forbidden to tell anyone about it. Uh, he, it's, it's unlawful for him to even utter those things that he heard. And so it was given to his ears only. And uh, we will never know what those words were until we reach heaven ourselves, and then we'll know. We'll know all things when we get there. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, Of such and one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seemeth or seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Paul doesn't want anyone to think of him as someone special. He doesn't want to be lifted up and exalted and seen, you know, better than everybody else. That's not his desire in life. He wasn't trying to be preacher of the year. He didn't want his picture on the front of Apostolic Magazine or, or whatever, you know, church, church magazine or whatever. Uh, he don't want people to even focus on him at all. In fact, all he wants people to do is focus upon the Lord Jesus. It's all about him. You know, in today's world, a lot of preachers want self-glorification. They want to be exalted. They want to be lifted up. They want to, you know, set up higher on a, on a pedestal and everyone look up to them and bow to them and, and, uh, all this and look at my ministry, you know, or look how many people came out to hear me preach. Uh, look at my accomplishments. Uh, I've listened to some preachers and before they even start preaching, they start listing off all the things that they've done. Or they'll have somebody run out before he comes out and list off all of his accomplishments. I don't care nothing about any of that. I don't, I really don't care about all that. But most preachers of the day, if they'd experienced what Paul experienced, they'd be writing books about it. 
They'd, be, they'd have podcasts talking about my third heaven experience. They'd be uh, putting it on Facebook and, and trying to get a bunch of likes for it. Or, or on X, or formerly called Twitter. They'd be tweeting about it, you know. Uh, send out a tweet. This is what happened to me in third heaven. Here's one of the words I heard. Everybody listen. Well, Paul could have boasted, but he did not. Instead of seeking self-glory, he instead said he would glory in his infirmities. Now, we all know what that is, don't we? Infirmities is weaknesses. We all have them. Uh, I've got a lot more than I used to have. Seems like every day I wake up and I've got a new infirmity. Uh, but he realized that it was when he was going through his infirmities, his weaknesses, that's when actually God's power is made perfect in his life. And if we would realize that, we'd be much better off. Because when we're weak, we're strong in Christ. I mean, think about it. When something happens to you, what do you do? You, you run to the Lord. You, you fall on your knees. You start praying. And you start praying harder. The worst things that happen to you, you pray harder, don't you? Yeah, we ought not be that way. We ought to pray just as hard no matter what's going on. You know, the God on the mountain is the same as God in the valley. And, uh, but that's, that's our human nature. It's our flesh. But we are made more perfect because we get closer to God in those times of weaknesses and troubles and trials and going through such things. I've seen people, I've known people and personal family members that has been going through struggles with cancer. And you can see their life, how it kind of changes uh, when they find out. And then as they go through the treatments and, and when their hair falls out and when uh, all the sickness comes and they're throwing up and, and they can't hardly walk and they get so weak and... You know, all these things, and you see how despite all those weaknesses and infirmities they have, their, their walk with the Lord starts getting stronger because they're communing with Him. They're speaking to Him. They're praying to Him. They're relying on Him. They start reading their Bible more. They start watching more live streams of preaching more. They start thinking about those hymns more and singing them. I, that's my personal experience with people I've been around that's gone through such things. Verse 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And there we see he definitely is speaking of himself. Why would, why would he uh, have to suffer for what some other man saw? So it was him, was the man. To keep him humble... And prevent pride from taking root. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. Now I've heard messages preached on this all my life. I've preached numerous of them. That thorn, it's, it's a metaphor. Some kind of physical or spiritual uh, weakness or problem. Uh, an affliction. And it was to keep him humble. So that he wasn't exalted. and Also to make sure he relied upon the Lord. And the Lord's strength and not his own. And so we always had this thorn in the flesh. And the Bible doesn't say what it was. You know, and we, we all have our ideas and our thoughts and, you know, imaginations. Many theories on what Paul's thorn was, and I can give you a few of them. Some say he was afflicted with bad eyesight because he mentions in one of the letters to the churches how his letters are big and, and all this. And uh, if they, they would pluck out their own eyes and give to him if they could. And so some people say, well, that must have been what his thorn was. The Lord afflicted his eyeballs, you know, he couldn't see, or, or he's having eye problems or whatever. Uh, the Bible don't, don't say that. Uh, some say that he had persistent headaches. I'm really not sure why they say that. 
Uh, I'm sure he did. Uh, As many times as he was beat, he probably did. Uh, Others say it was a personal sin that uh, Paul had in his life that he just couldn't shake uh, and had to deal with on a constant basis. I I, I don't know that. The The Bible doesn't say that. And so we really don't know if it was a physical thorn that the Lord gave him. It may not have been a physical thorn. In fact, it could have been very well been a, phys- a, phys- a, a mental or a, a, um, a spiritual thorn. And I believe probably that's probably what it was because um, he says the messenger of Satan to buffet him. And most of the time when the Bible's referring to a messenger, it's meaning an angel. And here he says it's a messenger of Satan. So you could say an angel of Satan to buffet him. And that means to poke and to jab and stab is what that, that means to buffet. Uh, if you ever see anybody buffeted in the face, then they're, they're getting a Mike Tyson done to them, you know. Uh, so Paul, uh, it could have been this angel of Satan. Now we know ultimately it was God, the one that caused it. And just like God did with Job. When he allowed Satan to enter into his life and do all the damage and destroy his family and his health and and all that, God was ultimately the one that was responsible, although he did it through Satan. He could have very well done this through a a messenger of Satan to afflict Paul. And one of those things, it could have been the false teachers that were always causing Paul problems. Every church that Paul established, as soon as he would leave, false teachers would creep in. They would creep in and they would cut Paul down. They would say he was a false teacher. They would say that he had made himself an apostle, that he wasn't a true apostle. They would say he's preaching easy believism. They said all kinds of things about Paul. And he spent a majority of his time trying to defend his own ministry. And that's why in almost every letter to the churches, he starts out saying that he was an apostle appointed by God. He he ever told everybody, he's an apostle appointed by the Lord. And so an apostle is one who is sent. And we know that God personally sent Paul uh, to be a preacher unto the Gentiles. And so it could have been these false teachers being a thorn in his flesh. And perhaps it always kept him tore up and, and upset. And he was always dwelling upon it. And certainly that would cause someone to stay humble, knowing that there were people coming up behind you everywhere you went, telling everybody that you were a liar and a, a false teacher and all this. And so uh, that it could have possibly been a spiritual uh, thorn in the flesh. We don't know. And here's something I'd like to share with you. Um, first, let's read verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. So whatever his thorn in the flesh was, he asked the Lord three different times to take it away. Lord, please take this away from me. This, this messenger of Satan is buffeting me. Take it away. But the thing is, it's really not important what this was. And we don't need to dwell upon what the thorn in the flesh was. <clears throat> and so I'm going to share this with you. I've got, I've got a cousin. And he, he sent me a message one day. And he said, Byron, he said, I just, uh, I'm all upset. And I said, well, what's, what's going on? He says, well, I've been reading the Bible. And I've noticed that after Jesus was 12 years old, the Bible doesn't say anything about what he did up till he was 30 years old. He said, I need to know what happened in between those years. And I was like, well, why do you need to know this information? He's, I just, I just, it's tearing me up. I need to know. What did he do? And so he started going and getting these um, so-called lost books of the Bible and reading them. Friends, I've read those books just to see what they were about. They are lies. 
They tell about things that Jesus did that he never did. Things that there's no way that the, the Jesus of the Bible did. And so he was getting all these spurious books, you know, and reading them and coming up with his own conclusions of what Jesus did between the ages of 12 and 30. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us because God doesn't want us to know. It's not important enough for us to know or God would have told us about it. And so I'm going to tell you what I told him. Stop trying to figure out what's not in the Bible and spend more time on figuring out what is in the Bible. And spend your time right there, what God has said, not what God's not said. And you'll be a lot better off. And so that just, uh, that's one of the things I've always cautioned people about. Stop worrying about what you don't know and be more concerned about what we do. Verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now we finally got to the part I want to preach about. All that other was introduction. I'm just kidding you. But it is. My grace is sufficient for thee. If, you, if you've not got that underlined in your Bible, underline that in your Bible. If you write in your Bible, do that. I believe in writing in Bibles, okay? Now, when I was a kid, Mom told me, don't be writing in the Bible because I was scribbling in it. But as I got older, I realized the Bible is a tool. The Bible is something that God has given us to learn about Him. And every little note and every little underline and everything, it brings emphasis so that I remember back and I look at it and I say, My, His grace is sufficient for me. So I ask at the very beginning of the message, do you believe God's grace is sufficient enough for you? For all your needs. Let me ask you this. What if you lost everything? God forbid, but what if we lost everything? What if all of a sudden God took away everything you had? Your health, your family, your friends, your job, every penny that you have. Your home, what, what if God took all those things away and we were just left homeless, helpless, penniless? Would his grace still be sufficient for thee? Look, we all have thorns in our lives. We all face trials and weaknesses. We have things that happen to us that we don't understand. They're not only physical things, but mentally there's more mental problems in this world today probably than it has ever been. Spiritual problems. And a lot of times the mental problems result because of spiritual problems. And we're constantly battling all these things. We're a lot like Saul of Tarsus. We're kicking against the pricks. We're letting them ruin our lives, ruin our families, and worst of all, ruin our testimonies. How we react to the problems in our lives, our infirmities and all the trials and things, it speaks volumes about our faith in God. And whether it's right or wrong, your neighbor is watching every move that you make. People around you that know you're a Christian, they are watching your every move. They're listening to your every word. Now, I, I know we shouldn't worry about things like that, but we, we have to. 
because we have a testimony. We're to be ambassadors to Christ. And if we're treating Christ like His grace is not sufficient enough for us, I'm going through this problem and we're screaming about it, we're cussing about it, we're carrying on about it, we're complaining about it all the time. What does that say about our Christian walk? What does that say about our faith in God? What does that say about His grace? Do we really believe it's sufficient enough? A lot of times the way we act, we, we really don't. I don't want to make a hero out of any country music singer, but Garth Brooks back in 1991 had a hit uh, song called Unanswered Prayers. And in that song, in the last part of the chorus, he says, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. I firmly believe that. I believe that sometimes God just says no, and we refuse to hear it. We keep saying yes. He keeps saying no. He told Paul no three times. No. Paul finally, instead of keep going on and on like we want to do, God could tell us no a million times. And a million and one times we're still back. God, will you do this? Will you do that? No. (laughs) So sometimes his answer is no. And it's how we react to that answer shows our faith. There's a lot of people in this world today, they're not serving God because of something in their life, some affliction, some trial, something going on, and they prayed about it, and they think that God is refusing to answer them, or He's not listening, or they've never got through to Him, or whatever, and so they just quit serving God. What if Paul had said, God, I've asked you three times now to make this thorn in my flesh depart from me, and you keep saying no. Well, you know what? I'm not going to serve you. You know what? If you're not going to help me, I'm not helping you. What if he had done that? You'd have 14 missing books out of the the New Testament for one thing. You you would have a lot of the information we know about the Lord Jesus gone. Yeah, I know God could have raised up another man in his place, but still. What if Paul, the man that we look up to, the man that we know, one of the greatest preachers to ever live, one of the greatest evangelists, one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest writers of God's Word, what if he'd said, forget about it? What if that was his attitude? But it wasn't. He said he was going to glory and take pleasure in infirmities. Can you imagine that? Going through one of the worst trials in your life and actually saying, I'm going to take pleasure in this. That's not in our human nature, is it? That's not in our flesh. It's just not. But it's not our flesh is the one that speaks. In those cases, it needs to be our faith in God. And we need to understand that God loves us. He cares for us just like Sister Marianne saying he cares for us. And everybody needs to know that someone cares for him. Well, there is someone. And it's the Lord Jesus. He cares for us. And he's always there for us. He's never gone, never on vacation. You know, sometimes you try to get a hold of somebody, you can't get a hold of them, they're gone. They went to the beach, they've, they've done this, they've done that. God's never gone. He's always there. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's always there for us. And so Paul understood that God's grace is indeed sufficient for everything. And instead of crying over it, he takes pleasure in it. Why? Because it brings glory to God. And may I say to you that everything that we do in the name of God is to bring glory to Him. 
Everything we do is to bring glory to God. Every song we sing. Every time the choir assembles and we start singing the songs out of the hymn book, it is because we're trying to glorify God. Every time someone has a special song in their heart that God has said, I want you to get up in the service today and sing this song. Every time that's done, it is to bring glory to God. Not self, but to God. His grace is sufficient. And the truth is, every one of us in this world ought to be in hell with our backs broke. Every single one of us. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 2 and 22, Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of. We're no better than the next breath in our own nostrils. That's how much we are. We're here one minute and we're gone the next. None of us deserves God's grace. No, no, none of us deserves God's mercy. None of us deserve his unmerited favor. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus Christ purchased our salvation. He gave us his grace, his unmerited favor, by dying on the cross for our sins. The spotless Lamb of God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It is simply his gift to us. Let me ask you one more time this morning. Is God's grace sufficient enough for all your needs? To comfort you, to calm your fears, to care for your soul, to love you unconditionally, and most of all, to save you and to keep you. If you believe that this morning, I want you to stand with me and let's pray together. Brother Scott, come get a song. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for the message. Oh God, thank you for giving us the truths in your word. Lord, most of all, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. God, your unmerited favor upon us. We know we don't deserve it, God. We're so unworthy. God, thank you for giving us the example in your word that we can follow and go by. Lord, I pray that we as a church body, God, that we lift you up and, and everyone around us can see, Lord, that we only want to exalt you and lift you up, God, not ourselves, not to be seen by men, but, God, to, to show you to the world, to introduce you to this lost and dying world. Lord, help us as we end this message today, God. May you receive the glory for it, for it's in Jesus' name, and amen. If you need any help this morning, you come down to the altar and we'll pray.